Welcome to Northern Goal, the football podcast from the Evening Express and Press and Journal. On this week's episode, we look ahead to a big week in Europe for Aberdeen as they prepare for their Conference League second leg against Carabag. There's contrasting fortunes for our two Highland clubs. And in the SPFL, Peterhead and Cove jostle it out at the opposite ends of League One. To discuss all this and more, I'm joined by the two Poles on our irreverent sports desk, Paul Chalk and Paul Third. How are you doing, guys? Hi, Jimmy. All good. Obviously, we'll start at Pitodri, um, where Aberdeen are obviously preparing for their big European tie against Karabag. Um, first and foremost, uh, Paul Third, you were at uh, Tyne Castle on Sunday for the uh, for the 1-1 draw with Hearts. I mean, how, how would you assess Aberdeen's afternoon? They played well. Um, it, it was very encouraging. I think, I think the biggest compliment I can pay the Dons is that they were the team pushing to win the game in the second half. You would have thought Hearts were the team that, that had travelled seven hours and then made a trip for an away game. And it speaks volumes of, of Aberdeen's fitness and desire, I guess. Um, they were the team looking to win the game and the draw was the least they deserved over the piece. Obviously, there was a kind of a goal from uh, Funzo Ojo, his first from for the Dons, cancelling out a penalty from from Liam Boyce. Um, who were the kind of the, the standout performers for you on uh, on Sunday? There were there were a few actually. Um, Teddy Jenks had his best game since arriving at the club. Ojo was very good again and capped it with um, getting an, an effort on target for a change, which was nice. I don't think <laughs> <laughs> goal scoring prowess is something that he has in his in his. Uh, Locker, uh, Scott Brown and Lewis Ferguson were dominant, uh, and I suppose the most pleasing aspect for me was the contribution of the two substitutes. Uh, Dean Campbell and J. Emmanuel Thomas were excellent when they came on. The only negative, really, was that silly challenge from Declan Gallagher. Uh, having watched it back, I don't think it's one he really needed to make, but Aberdeen's response was terrific. Yeah, obviously, I think was it Dean came on at uh, left back. Is that right? That's right, yeah, and uh, he linked up with Ojo fantastically well. And when you look at the equaliser, it's uh, Jet and Ramirez are combining down the right. Ramirez fires a ball across goal; it, it misses everyone. But here's Dean Campbell, the left back, up in the, the left wing position to fire the ball back across goal at the first attempt. And Ojo, to be fair, is is run infield, and he's got himself in the box and stuck a leg out to divert, divert the ball past Craig Gordon. It was a great team goal. What's the what's the kind of the the latest with the injury situation at Aberdeen? Obviously, you've, without Andy Considine and and Ryan Hedges, obviously they had to bring Dean Campbell on um, in an unnatural position. Um, what what are we kind of looking at in terms of absentees for for this week? Well, uh, Andy Considine and Ryan Hedges are are both out um, for Thursday's game against Carabag and Ross County. Um, in Andy's case, we're awaiting a prognosis on how serious the knee injury he suffered in Baku is, but the noises coming from Pitodri are not optimistic. Um, it would be nice to think they're going to be wrong, and I'm sure everyone's wishing Andy all the best, but we'll just have to wait and see on that one. Uh, Hedges, hamstring, it's after the international break, is as far as Stephen Glass is willing to, to give a diagnosis on that one and a time frame. Um, Elsewhere, Jack McKenzie didn't feature at Hearts, but Glass is hopeful he'll be available for Thursday. And then you've got the injuries they picked up from the game itself. Uh, Connor McLennan failed to make it to half time. I think it might be a hamstring injury for him as well. So something certainly muscular. Uh, and Johnny Hayes' ankle, which I think took a bit of a whack at Wraith Rovers the previous week, um, that kept him in the dressing room at half time. So there's some checks on those two which need to be done. 
would it be a concern that say these little kind of niggling injuries are starting to mount up? Say that given they don't have the kind of the the deepest squad, you would say they've kind of got a lot of younger, kind of maybe a little bit more inexperienced players that will be uh, kind of on the bench at the minute. Is it a concern? Um, I can probably answer that question better a, a week from now when the, the window's closing and we, we see what shape Aberdeen are in. Um, it also depends too, I guess, on how long a, a time frame we're, we're looking at for some of these guys who have the the muscular or potentially ligament injuries, if, if that's what it turns out to be for, for Andy Considine. Um, Aberdeen don't have the biggest squad, but what they do have is some very promising young talent coming through. And as we've seen, they're, they're looking to add to that squad at the minute um, with Austin Samuels up in the Granite City looking to potentially become a, a dance player by closer play today. Um, it's my understanding he's not eligible to face Carabag, as you have to be registered before the first leg, according to the UEFA rules. Um, he's only 20, been with Wolves since the age of eight, had spells with Kidderminster Harriers in, in Bradford. I think it's one goal in, in 14 appearances for Bradford last season. Um, he's a bit of an unknown. I'm, I'm sure Don's fans are are thinking, "Fit's going on." It's quite a change of course from offering half a million to a proven Premiership commodity and Martin Boyle of Hibs a week ago to signing a player that we don't know an awful lot about on loan. But I'm prepared to keep an open mind on on him. But they certainly need a few more bodies in. Yeah, well, I think we've all kind of said at some point that we we were worried about the lack of depth up front, in particular with um, obviously Stephen Glass preferring to try and pl- fit. Emmanuel Thomas and Christian Ramirez into the team at the same time. So I guess if Austin Samuels does come in with maybe with a little bit of a point to prove and maybe he, by looks of it, he provides something a little bit different to to what those two provide, then I think that's got to be that's got to be a positive, I suppose, for for Aberdeen. I agree, and and from what we do know, he seems to be very quick, a pacey player, and they're certainly needing an injection of pace. In the final third, um, Ramirez is a decent finisher. J. Emmanuel Thomas is very good on the ball, but neither are what you would call blistering pace if you think of a, a Johnny Hayes in his prime. Um, McLennan offers a bit more pace, as does Hedges, a, a bit of guile to go with that too, but that's two guys that you're potentially looking at being without this week. So I can see why it's suddenly that needs become pressing for Stephen Glass to address in the final third. He needs options and he needs some pace, especially as they look to transition from they're going to have periods where they're under pressure and then look at the break and, and hit the carabag on the counter. Yeah, obviously that's the main event of the of the week, I suppose. Thursday night, Pitodri under the lights against Carabag with a, a kind of a 1-0 deficit to uh, to overturn. I mean, just how, how big an opportunity is this for for Aberdeen to reach finally reach the group stages of European competition? Oh, it's huge. I mean, if, if you can put domestic cup finals to one side, this is the biggest game Aberdeen have had at Pitodri in, in 14 years. Um, and it, it, it's there that, that they're knocking on the door for the first time since 2007. And it's, it's so hard to assess, though, of what their chances are, because last week was... It, it, was, it was so hard. How, how do you gauge if Carabag are a decent side or if it was the conditions in the pitch that contributed to, to Aberdeen losing. Um, it was interesting to hear that uh, Gurbin Gurbanov, the Carabag manager, he's been talking about Aberdeen being physical and a side which likes to play long balls because that's exactly how I would describe what I watched from his team last week. It was a case of get the ball up to the big front man and, and get players running in support to play off him. Aberdeen did find the conditions in terms of the pitch and the heat hard going and I think 1-0 under those circumstances 
is a decent result. It's far from Mission Impossible for Stephen Glass and his players. And taking away the old away goals rule has probably been a blessing at, at this stage. But it, it's all set up for a cracker. Hopefully it's a night to remember at Pitodri on Thursday. Well, you think, given the circumstances, 1-0 is probably the best case scenario for them. They're still well in the tie um, heading to heading to Pitodri on, on Thursday night. And it's it's not often we've kind of said that in some of these two big two-legged games. Um, you think you you look back and some of them they kind of they've been out of maybe out of the the tie already. Um, and I think back the, to the Rijeka game a couple of years ago that both both of us were at. Um, they were obviously two 0 down from the from the first leg, and then it was built up to be this big big European night um, at Pitodri. And I think they were a goal down, and then had Funzo Joe sent off in the first kind of twenty five minutes, and <laughs> that was that was the evening done. Oh, it was a horrible night. <laughs> it's easily been the worst home European game that, that I've covered in my 20 years at the, at the Preston Journal. It was I've never heard the atmosphere just drop out of a football stadium in the way it did because everybody knew it was over. It was done and dusted. Aberdeen had a man down, 3-0 down in aggregate, needing to score four. And it was just, he just wanted the referee to blow the full-time whistle there and then. Thankfully, I don't think we're facing that scenario uh, on Thursday and uh, how ironic would it be if the Belgian Ojo turns out to have his own redemption tale by helping the Dons qualify for the group stages of the Conference League well, I don't think you'd get too many uh, Aberdeen fans <laughs> arguing with you on that front um, you, I see it's got the Scotland squad being announced today and it'll probably be well it will be should be out by the time this comes out but are we expecting any Dons names in there Potentially Declan Gallagher, I would think, would be the the one the obvious one. Yeah, he's he's the obvious one for me too. Um I mean Lewis Ferguson and Ross McCrory are the two who've been in the conversation a few times. I think Ferguson perhaps edges it in terms of how he's he started the season. But uh, McCrory's been been in there before. So they they'll be the two that I suppose you're you're looking for to see have they done enough to get in on this occasion. But they're, they're certainly now in in the conversation whenever a squad it's going to be announced. If, if they're not in this time, it, it, it's not far in coming, I don't think. Absolutely. Well, it's, that's it for part one of the pod. And on part two, we'll move on to the, discuss the fortunes of our two Highland clubs. Welcome to part two of this week's episode of Northern Goal. And we'll now move on to our two clubs in the north. Uh, first of all, Ross County, who were beaten 4-2 by Champions Rangers on Sunday. Paul Chalk, you were obviously uh, at the game, and what what were your kind of your, your takeaways from the from the result? Well, I think one of the quotes from after the game from Ross County manager Malky Mackay summed it up when he said, "We're pitching in guys for debuts nearly every week right now, compared to Rangers who arrived in in the mood to deliver a big performance, especially on the back of Celtic winning six 0 against St Mirren the afternoon before." It, um, it's a, a difficult transition period for Ross County, but there were, despite the scoreline of a 4-2 defeat, positives to pluck from it. And um, the, the piece that I've actually just written is um, from Malky speaking about two players that he, he's brought in this summer, and that is um, Ben Payton, Harry Payton's brother, um, who um, played left-back at, at the weekend. Uh, we were maybe thinking that Reagan Charles Cook would play there, but Charles Cook was pushed further forward in a, in a five-man midfield, but certainly uh, Ben didn't do himself any harm at all. Really, really difficult 
circumstances, of course, going up against Rangers when they're in that kind of mood. They scored two goals uh, within the first 19, 20 minutes. And uh, you really feared for Ross County at that point, uh, but not for the first time. Ross Laidlaw, the goalkeeper, pulled off a, a number of uh, good saves at key, at key moments um, to keep County in it. And Harry Clark is the other um, debutant that Malky pointed out who's uh, come on loan from Arsenal. I spoke to him after the game. He felt that Ross County paid the price for just getting the basics wrong against Rangers. Some um, basic decisions, especially at the back, was costly. But uh, Ross County, as a club, hadn't scored against Rangers in six outings. They scored two at the weekend. They were a threat going forward. Um, We all know, and Malky's identified, that they have to be much tighter as a group. And in fact, they have had some clean sheets in competitive games. Indeed, they started against uh, St. Johnson with a 0-0 draw. So uh, there is improvement there from Ross County. It's very much work in progress. Uh, We've got another week or so left of the transfer window. I would imagine two more players to, to come in there. Um, from Malky's point of view. But um, what Malky Mackay said afterwards is they're not going to be judged on what they do against Rangers, especially now when, as he was saying, there's debuts coming in every week at Ross County. Um, and it, it's upwards and onwards to the, the game at Pitodri this Sunday. Yeah, I've also mentioned there the, the kind of number of, of debutants that have kind of been thrown in over the last few weeks. I mean, do you think they need these kind of um, these extra two players? Because obviously every <laughs> everyone's going to need their own kind of time to to settle in and it's it's been pretty much kind of a, a complete squad overhaul since Malky came in and players coming in in a short space of time I mean does does the squad kind of look like it needs these these extra players well I think we're up to um 10 um players coming in from from Malky's point of view and um I think when there was the big announcement Jimmy and, and May that there was 10 first team players going out the door that actually didn't include five players who were on loan at Ross County so Malky's been at pains to point out that there was actually 15 players uh, left the club at the end of the season if you include the loanees so um he does feel that they are short in numbers there are um players 16 17 year olds still within the group that he feels need to be loaned out. There's already a few gone out to Highland League clubs as well. So um, from his point of view, he's not going to get like for like. They won't reach the, the 15, I would I would doubt. But two more players. Um, I think they're well served in midfield. I think attack as well. I think um, just spoken about how they need to be a little bit more tighter. I would say that left back is a, a concerning position for them. Um Reagan Charles Cook has played there in the past. Ben Payton, as I say, did come in and did as well as he could against Rangers. But of course, Jake Vokins was the, the player who came in from Southampton and he uh, has undergone foot surgery and suffered just the day before the, the game against St. Johnston. So uh, that would be a key area I would I'd suggest that Ross continued to to look at. They have got players that can play there, but it's not the natural position. And uh, the game's keep coming thick and fast and, and hard for Ross County because it's the top five clubs in there from last season in the first five fixtures because after facing Aberdeen at Pitodry on Sunday, they face a resurgent Celtic down in, in Glasgow as well before. Uh, we've got the championship winners, Hearts, um, who, of course, Paul Third saw at the weekend coming to Dingwall. So it's a tough, tough spell. And um, I think Malky will be keen to just get two players, two more players in if he can, and then work with the group. And they were helped a wee bit by not having a, a fixture the, the weekend before uh, been out of the Cup. He felt that they, 
that there was a, a bit of time to gel the group uh, further. And um, but nothing is better than uh, getting the match day experience into, into these players, especially the new ones. And over the bridge um, in Inverness, it was a third consecutive one nil win in the league. This time against A United. Um, three wins from three, three clean sheets, top uh, joint top of the table with Kilmarnock. I mean, are things all uh, all rosy for Billy Dodd's side? Yeah, yeah, they they are. Um, he's um, been quite keen to point out they obviously need more goals because you can't always rely on. You're never never going to keep a clean sheet every week. There will be a time where they'll, they'll be breached and um, uh, a real stern test this Saturday going away to the team who are also. Uh, Perfect starters in Kilmarnock, the hot favourites to win this championship. But um, what Billy Dodds and, and Barry Wilson, first team coach, have been saying lately as well is that we shouldn't be reading too much into their exit from the Premier Sports Cup. It was a new manager in there trying to bed in, and you know they, they suffered some bad defeats. You know, Stirling Albion scoring um, twice at Inverness, and then Cove Rangers, of course. Got, completely took Calithisola apart at the Balmoral. So um, they learned the lesson from that. They, they said we have to improve as, as a unit and that means defending from the front. And um, yeah, they've got attacking options there waiting in the wings. Like Billy Mackay has come off the, the bench at the weekend. He's looking sharp and, and hungry. But right now, um, I have to say Manny Duku and Shane Sutherland um, are linking up terrifically well up top. And um, it was a fortunate goal at the weekend, Jamie, I think everyone will have seen it now, a, bit, a good bit of fortune as the ball came off Tom um, Walsh and, and into the net. But um, listen, I, I think it's all very uh, encouraging. You can't ask for more than what they've given so far other than uh, scoring more goals. Well, that's it. I mean, given um, the kind of the amount of changes that have been made over the summer, obviously in the dugout and, and on the field as well, I think it's I think it's probably about as good a start as they could have hoped for. And I mean, they've got Kilmarnock, on the road this Saturday, it's obviously a ground they'll they'll know well from days of playing against them in the in the Premiership. And do you think it'd be a, a good kind of almost like barometer of of where this team's at so far? Yeah, I would say so. Um, Kilmarnock have the, I think Kilmarnock are a wee bit. Um, you know, they've got off to the, the, the perfect start as well. We watched their um, match. I think it was a Friday night game on, on the BBC where they beat um, Air United on, on day one. Um, they've kept Tommy Wright. He's kept a lot of his key key men and they've got a, a bit of a swagger about them. But um, I think uh, psychologically, the fact that Cali Thistle have shown that they're hard to break down um, will um, be, be noted at Kilmarnock that Kilmarnock will need a big performance to get past Cali Thistle. And you, I think back to that opening weekend when they won 1-0 at Arbroath, uh, Cali Thistle, and they were we saw our both taking Patrick Thistle apart at the weekend, you know, so the Cali Thistle that day got the goal and then they, they defended like their lives depended on it. That's very much the, the way it is right now at Cali Thistle. And I have to pick out one player in particular for, for praise right now. He's only scored a couple of goals, but Shane Sutherland for, for me, if you watch that goal at the weekend, it was his long ball onto Manny Duku and Duku's cross that, that led to uh, Walsh get the good bit of fortune. Shane Sutherland has done that several times in the, the first three matches in the league, uh, picking out players. And I think it's maybe a, a part of his game that gets uh, overlooked. Uh, he's, he comes with great experience, of course, with the, the clubs that he's been at. But um, it's more about, um, he can offer more than um, 
goals and uh, I think Billy Dodge will, will be very encouraged by, by that aspect of his game but yeah Kilmarnock back to that one big big one at the weekend and I think uh, Jamie I think Billy would be happy coming away with a, a point though we're going for the victory but if it's um, if they were to come away with a point it would ensure that both they and Kilmarnock stay uh, top of the league jointly uh, they can't be caught by anyone else and after the first four games I think that's uh, that's a brilliant start from the Highlanders that's it for part two of the pod. In part three, we'll chat about the rest of our teams in the SPFL. Welcome to part three of this week's episode of Northern Goal. We'll now move on to League One, where we had Cove Rangers and Peterhead in action. as contrasting fortunes for the two clubs. Uh, first of all, I'll start with the game that I was at the weekend. Um, Peterhead's two, Adrianians three. Um, it was a... It was a fair, it's a fair to say it was a below par performance from from Peter Heads. They were kind of late goals from um, from Scott Brown and Russell McLean kind of masked what was a pretty poor performance. And I think Scott and Simon Ferry both kind of acknowledged that afterwards that it maybe flattered them a little bit. And I think Jim McAnally's kind of on the same page with that as well. It's it's been a it's a little bit of a rut they're in at the minute. They've obviously played some of the the bigger teams in the league. They've they went down to Falkirk and then Montrose and kind of lost both of those. Um, but I think they thought with it coming up against a depleted Adrianians team who'd lost a number of players due to COVID issues, that it was a, a, a kind of a, a real chance for them to to put get a real good result at home. Um, but they seem to be struggling a little bit for confidence at the minute. Um, they do they do kind of seem to maybe have got the kind of some of the bigger teams out of the way with early, but they've got to go to East Fife on, on Saturday who are traditionally kind of solid league one teams. So it'll be interesting to see how, uh, how kind of Jim McAnally and the team pick, pick themselves up after that. I'd agree with everything you just said there, Jamie, the blue tune are, are off the boil, plain and simple. Um, league one's a competitive division to play in as we, as we know, and you've got to work hard for, for any points you pick up. Saturday will feel particularly galling for the circumstances you've just outlined. Here, you were missing a few players, but if we know one thing, Jim McAnally is not a guy who is going to be pressing the panic button anytime soon. It's East Fife this weekend, a chance to stop the rot, and that's what he'll be focusing on. With Cove Rangers, um, they were three-one winners at Dumbarton, uh, with goals from from Mitch Megginson and from Roy McAllister and Robbie Leach. It's uh, it seems to be things seem to be kind of clicking again for Cove um, after the the kind of the slow start that they'd had after they've kind of put five past East Fife the week before to to go down the road against Dumbarton and put three away. Um, it's it's a result you can't really complain about. Absolutely not. Um, I think as we can now look back with a bit of hindsight, the the disrupted preseason was always going to put Cove up against it. They were effectively starting a. 100 metre sprint, 10 metres behind the other teams. Um, and what we're seeing is Paul Hartley's sides getting up to speed now. And with that March sharpness improving, it's no surprise to see the results and the confidence beginning to flow. Well, I think that was always that was always going to come, I think, with Cove. I mean, they have had a number of new sign-ins over the summer. I think it was seven new players that have been brought in. But um, I think... I think from from memory, the the kind of the lineups of late have been more similar to to the one last season, and maybe that's just kind of helped bring a little bit of of consistency to things. Um, they've been 
looking to get back to towards their old selves. Um, there may be kind of activity there this week. It lo- appears to be that Brooke Watson um, will be on his way out of the club. He's um, he's kind of struggled for for game time recently. There's not there's not been much there for him. I think he came in in the kind of the 2019 20 season from from Annan, but he's he's not really been able to nail down a place there. He looks to be heading to to Stranraer, um, and it, it'll be the kind of the second exit in matter of weeks uh, with Dan Higgins leaving the week previously, um, going down to East Fife. And I think Paul Hartley is he's kind of said several times that the they are still in the market to add somebody in the forward areas. Um that's probably going to be a loan signing given what's what's out there at the minute. But if something something kind of marquee comes comes their way, then I think they'd they'd probably jump at the chance of it. But they're uh, they're down at, at Clyde this weekend. Um second away game on the bounce. Um but the you feel with, with kind of Jamie Masson returning as well, he came he came on as a sub for the second week running that uh, things are starting to click into into gear for Cove. It it looks that way. I mean Clyde away is a tough one as well. It's uh, we could say this about every every fixture when you look at, at League One in particular. It's just it's so competitive. Um but the way Cove are now clicking into gear, I'm sure they'll be looking forward to making that trip with a bit of confidence. As for, for Brock Watson, well, to be fair to the lad, he's been a peripheral figure, as, as you said, um, and there's been, what was it you said, seven additions to the squad this season. So inevitably, you have to make space at some point, especially if you're still looking to bring bring in some other guys. And the guys you're, Paul Hartley will be looking to bring in will be ones he's, he's looking to make a, contribution on the pitch and, and if Watson hasn't been able to do that for whatever the reason then it's it's in the best interest of all parties if he can f- find a, a new club where he does get that chance to, to get going again and uh, Strandar seems a, a good fit In League 2, Elgin City drew a one all with Forfa um, Connor O'Keefe levelling an opener from Stefan McCluskey um, it seemed to be um, maybe their slow starts kind of impaired them again which I think is something that Gavin Price has He's lamented on a number of occasions from his side. He certainly has. Yeah, no, you're you're right on that. I think um, we spoke in last week's pod. To, they were very um, Gavin's concerned that they're just playing in, in stages in matches. I was at their game against Albion Rovers the week before, where um, the Kane Hester show yet again with a, a hat trick um, put Albion Rovers away. Um, but they kind of fell back a, a wee bit against Forfar, a 1-1 draw. It was a strange day in League 2 the weekend. Not a lot of goals kicking about anywhere with uh, Annan winning 1-0 at Albion Rovers. 1-1, obviously, Elgin Forfar. Kelty Hearts only 1-0 winners against Edinburgh City and uh, one each with Stennis Weir and Cowden Beath. So Edinburgh City are next up for Elgin. Uh, they've got a long history. Um, Elgin have not getting the better of Edinburgh City, none more so than that um, playoff defeat down in Edinburgh um, at the end of the season, which um, ended their latest chance of uh, promotion once more. But Stephen Mackay, of course, the Broader Rangers manager until recently, has come in as Gavin's number two. And um, he'll be uh, helping the, the group through the week. Um, he pointed out that he can't wait to work with Kane Hester, a notable striker, of course, Steve McKay for so many years. Um, but, uh, yeah, it, it's it's just not clicking yet for them. I don't think um, there's any need to, to panic just yet, but if um, Edinburgh were to get the victory over Elgin uh, this weekend, the, the 
Edinburgh would then overtake them. Um, in, in the table, they'd be up to six. Elgin are in five, and that would be five points from five games, which is hardly um, the, the form of a, a team looking for promotion this time around. What I have to say, from what I've seen of the League 2 opponents, Kelty Hearts are in a, a league of their own, if you like. They are already top of the table with 10 points. But other than that, Elgin are as good as any side in this league. They've, they've got a good group together. Um, not a lot of changes over the summer. A couple of additions coming in and um, there's a real good balance about them. And that Albion Rovers game a couple of weeks ago showed what Elgin are all about. It's just about finding consistency. And if they were to win in Edinburgh this week, well, uh, that would give them such a, a big lift um, in more ways than one. Not only would they rise up the table, but it would um, you know, give them that belief again that, that they are a side that rightly should be in that, that top four, Jamie. You obviously mentioned there that Stephen Mackay is coming in as assistant manager. Um, the current current assistant manager, Keith Gibson's the last game will be the the Edinburgh City game on Friday. Is his last home game against Forfra at the weekend. One hundred and thirty six games alongside um, Gavin Price in the dugout. I mean, you spoke to Stephen last week, and he'd obviously kind of left Brora Rangers earlier in the month in kind of quite surprising circumstances. I think everyone was kind of taken aback by his exit, given what he'd achieved at Brora and the kind of the team that he was building. Um, what what was kind of the reasons behind him kind of jumping at the chance to come to come to Elgin? Well, he said to me that um, when he made the decision to step away from Brora, he, he never said at any stage he was quitting football. Um, Brora Rangers, despite being in the Highland Leagues, a very demanding job with big expectations. Um we, we know in our job the, the demands that managers have. They, they can never switch off. And um, a lot of Stephen's work is based in both Dunfermline and, and Manchester. So quite often he, throughout the week he's, he's away. Um, but he still ha- has personal ambitions to coach, stroke manage within the SPFL. Um, he admitted that they, obviously they fell short at Broder. And um, by losing to Kelty Hearts in, in the playoff, and he saw this as too good an opportunity. Um, Gavin only requires him to take one um, training session during the week and then have him on, on match days. So it fits in really well with his work. He brings that experience of uh, being a very um, capable coach who's won the, the Highland League um, and uh, other silverware, of course, at, at Brora. So I think um, it just seems like an appointment that made a lot of sense. But I uh, spoke to Gavin the previous week and he was, it was at pains to point out that um, Keith Gibson has given a, a lot over the, the three years that he's, he's been at Elgin and he, and he thanked him for that contribution. But I think Stephen, being a, a former Elgin player, will fit in really well. And um, I think he'll offer a, a lot of experience alongside Gavin uh, going forward. And into the, the Highland League, it'll be another uh, celebratory weekend for a certain uh, Fraser Berlining member of our sports desk after they continued their 100% start to the season with a 1-0 win over Brecon City. I was very disappointed not to be called up for Highland League Weekly on Monday. <laughs> I, I was well primed to see how fabulous a start it's been for the Broch. Uh, and obviously they're going to wait a Bucky on Wednesday night, which is... For me, it's a free hit for the, for the Brock, given the teams have already taken care of in the, the opening weeks of the season. I think all the pressure's on on Bucky. Yeah, Bucky were beaten at the weekend uh, 2-0 away at Rothis, which is it's probably an indication of the pro- kind of progress Rothis have made um, with the win coming at McKessick Park. 
For more of the kind of Highland League chats, uh, highlights from Strathbay Thistle's game against Lossiemouth and a feature on Dame Ballard's return from long-term injury at Devonville, you can see this week's episode of Highland League Weekly, which is out now on the Press and Journal website. And that is all for today's episode of Northern Goal. Thank you to both Paul Chalk and Paul Third for joining me today. You're welcome. Thank you, Jerry. If you like the episode, please subscribe and give us a rating on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts from. Or if you'd like to send us some feedback, email northerngoal at dctmedia.co.uk. Take care all and enjoy the football wherever you are this week. Hope you loved the episode. And if you did, we'd be grateful if you could leave us a review or rating on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. And don't forget to pick up your copies of the Press and Journal and Evening Express every day for the best football writing and analysis in the North.